Welcome, Paul and Todd, to Whoa. our second Board Wars interview for Imperial Assault. Uh, for the listeners, I am Stefan. With me today again is Jeppe, and we are interviewing the lead devs of Imperial Assault. Jeppe, anything to add? Just good evening, or maybe good morning at this time. Or good night, depending on where you are, actually. We're, we're good evening. What are you? Uh, we are actually very, very good night. <laughs> we're coming from you in the future. We're coming from you in the future. Here it's uh, Saturday morning at a quarter past one. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's fine. Okay, so to start things off, um, you are both uh, developers for Imperial Assault. So how has the last year been for you on the game? Uh, how was FFG during that time? Did anything major change? Uh, how are you... Um, are you satisfied with the progress you, you had in the last year with the game? Uh, yes, it has been a very full year. Um, we moved. Didn't we move in the last year? Yeah, like January, February. Yeah, January, we, we moved to a new office. Um, a complete, completely new building or just within the building? Um, across the parking lot. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. It was... It was it was very well run, and we picked up all our boxes, and we walked across to the parking lot, and then uh, and then uh, 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 had a new office. Um, also, Pokemon Go released this year, and our parking lot has two Poke stops and a gym. <laughs> so when I'm supposed to be working, I can just pull up Pokemon Go and like swipe and get some Pokeballs, which is great. Those are the two big developments so, that have actually this year, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> po and office moving. Okay, yeah. so... Um, as far as the game goes, I mean, we've, we... I mean, we did Bespin Gambit, which is out. We did um, Reinforcement Group 3, the which is the um, uh, Obi-Wan and uh, Greedo. Greedo and the Inquisitor. Yep. Um, are and they then, called Reinforcement uh, Groups now? Well, that's 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 how we refer to it. The the, the ones okay. that aren't related to um, any the, box. the packs that are unrelated to any boxed expansion, mm -hmm. and it was the third set of those that we had done. <laughs> True, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, and then Jabba's Realm, which just got uh, announced. So that was that's probably been the biggest meat of what we've been doing mm -hmm. uh, since mm -hmm. the last time. Okay. So uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, so a little bit off topic or maybe a bit personal. Uh, I, I I strongly suspect that you both have seen uh, the Force Awakens. So what's your take on it? Did you like it? Just a few sentences. If it me did meet your expectations or exceeded. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, we saw it. Um, the the company actually took us to see it. Um, which was great. So really, all, that's nice. All that's nice. She got a, a, a private. They, they rented out a movie theater. We went to go see it. It was a ton of fun, um, and uh, I, I loved it. I was I was all about it. I've got it on DVD now and Blu-ray and, and all of that. I, I'm I'm more uh, I'm an original trilogy guy. Todd is a Clone Wars guy. Um, <laughs> and, Clone Wars uh, is good too. So. Oh yeah, so it it very much hit all of my all of everything I needed. I'm hoping 
that they got all of their fan service out of the way in this movie, though, and that the eight and nine will just be purely new movies. That they did all the, hey, look, it's R2-D2 stuff. <laughs> and that that's all done. <laughs> so, so, Todd, anything from you to add, or basically the same? I, I am much more simple uh, than Paul is. <laughs> I'm an explosions and lightsabers kind of guy. <laughs> I especially liked the, the scene uh, just after they took off from Jackie with the Falcon, uh, where BB-8 is like pulling his his web spinny oh, thing yeah. inside the Falcon, so it doesn't. I was that was the scene. I, I watched the movie like four or five times in the cinema, and this was that this was this was the scene that was always always a laugh for me. So it's. <laughs> That's probably the very good. I, I, as far as act, that's probably my favorite action sequence in the movie, is is the escape from from Jakku. I didn't mind Kylo Ren okay. stopping the blaster bolt either. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It was a powerful effect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Yepa, is the next question actually from you, or did I write this? <laughs> no, no, I did. It's actually maybe a little bit uh, something you've already. Uh... Uh, commented upon and that was to ask you out of all of the movies or even the animated series uh, comic books and so on I would like to ask you each what was your favorite Star Wars moment? moment. Well that one's easy for me. I'll let Todd think because it's easy for me because it's the trench run in episode 4. Um, uh, the, the trench run in episode 4 is is just uh, the, there are there are two movies that I can watch over and over again, and no matter how many times I've seen them, which is probably approaching triple digits for both, I will still be on the edge of my seat when I get there. And one of them is a trench run from Star Wars. The other one is the ninth inning um, in the last game in Major League. I don't know if Major League has made its way over to, if that's a thing in Europe that people want. Yeah, it's a movie about America. Probably not. But... I don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, but do you? Um, I know of it, but I don't follow it. <laughs> so, but yes, yeah, so those. Two, so yeah, the trench run. Use the force. Da, 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 da. Oh, you're all clear, kid. Let's blow this thing and go home. Yeah. Kaboom. Da, 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 Kaboom. Da, da, da. Yeah. Chimes. 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 <laughs> did, did you did you like the the new trench run in Force Awakens or was it a little bit of a letdown because uh, it was so short? I loved it in theaters when I saw it for the first time in the theater and it was the oh my god this is that movie that I saw when I was a kid but new and with better visuals it is probably actually one of my least favorite parts in the movie upon reviewing because it is just sort of there to be that and so it did its mm -hmm. job on my initial viewing but as for how it sits now it, it is fine I guess. It's, a, it's okay. Yeah. So, Todd, what's your favorite Star Wars moment? Yeah, so... Could I, also be from Clone Wars. No, it, it, it is. Um, and I've whittled it down to, I think, three at this point. Um, my honest <laughs> to God, favorite, my, my answer is there are a few moments in Clone Wars when one of the, um, the battle droids looks at another and says, Roger, Roger, and falls off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, Roger. I just... <laughs> I just feel happy in that moment. <laughs> um, 
aside from that, uh, the more expected answers would probably be the the fight with Darth Maul in what is it, episode one. Oh yeah. Um, just because you know lightsabers, um, and then also the the first thing that came to my mind when we asked that question was actually when Ahsoka kind of walks away from the temple at the end of Clone Wars, and just kind of what that represented in terms of the, the Jedi not as like a mystical force but a real political institution, um, and I yeah. really liked thinking about those things. Um, I think Clone yeah, the, Wars gave me a new ahead. appreciation of the prequel movies because it's it's a more in-depth look on, on what's going on actually in the Republic and inside the Jedi Order. So I, I really liked what, even though I haven't seen all of the uh, episodes right now, I'm still behind. So, but it's it's very interesting material and it's I like it, so... Yeah, I, I, the highest praise I can sing of the Clone Wars is that you know what's going to happen the whole time, and it still hurts as it happens. Like it's just—it's mm -hmm. done so well. Yeah. All right. So that's it for the more personal questions. On to our actual questions about the game. So um, you alluded to it on our pre-talk show, but uh, just for the listeners, how big how big is the core Imperial Assault team? Occupied primarily with Imperial Assault, and what are they doing? So you mentioned that you already hired a third guy. Yeah, so I am pretty much one hundred percent Imperial Assault all the time myself. I I would yeah. fill what's called the producer role, I guess, as well as one of the main designers developers um, mm -hmm. for it. I've done a couple other games. I've done some work in Descent. Um, I did some work for the Runebound third edition uh, expansions that that are, I think they might be getting released soon, or they were just released, or they were announced. Um, I know they're announced. I know I'm not. <laughs> uh, I know they're at least announced. Um, and uh, uh, mostly, I am uh, full time Imperial Assault. Then, um, mm -hmm. for the past year, it's pretty much been me and Todd. In terms of who is um, spearheading it constantly um, and, and focusing on it all the time, um, and we have we get um, especially with like a big box like Java's Realm, um, we we get some help from other people designing missions, um, just other developers in the studio who know the game enough to to, to chip in, um, but we were sort of the ones paying attention to it constantly. Um, and like dreaming about it when we went home. <laughs> um, the, the, and then also none of these folks focus on anything full time, uh, but our, it, it, it must be mentioned our visuals team essentially where we have Michael Zilsby, who's our graphic designer for Imperial Assault. So he designs all the tokens okay. and, and puts everything together and makes it look good. Um, our art coordinator, Deb Freytag, um, uh, who uh, commissions all of our art pieces and directs the tiles and directs the, uh, everything. Um, and then uh, our plastics team, our plastics coordinator, Nick Norman, and John, we just call him FW in the office because his last name is Franz Wishlaz. Yeah, something, Some, something like that. <laughs> so he, he just always goes by John FW. Uh, um, and they are responsible for all the awesome uh, plastic that we see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
coordinating that those efforts. So that yeah. would sort of be what what I refer to as the Imperial Assault team. And then, like we mentioned, we just hired on um, a new uh, a new developer, Tony. Um, and so now we're kind of making a sort of triangle as Todd takes on a couple other projects, where Todd is going to do skirmish stuff. Tony is going to be pretty much campaign only, and I will meet in the middle and turn it all into a product that we can sell to people. Cool. So, um, so about selling the product, uh, how long? Uh, <laughs> how long? So, when you are starting an, uh, a box expansion, how long does it take from starting it? Um, like you wrote down the the or the, the the general title for the next box expansion until it's actually hitting the stores. Is it like a year? Is it like 18 months? Is it less than that? Year? Yeah, it's almost exactly a year. From from when we really sit down to sketching out our first design for our first unit, it's about a year between that and when the game is playable um, in stores. Okay. Yeah, and that, I mean that, and that's taking into account not just dev time, but all the other processes that, that go into it, which are many and numerous, and I don't understand uh, fully. <laughs> I, I know people that I have to contact at the various points, and then I trust mm -hmm. they uh, they know what happens next. And then I get various bits of paperwork, and it all moves forward. But yeah, about year year and change from from uh, yeah. from concepting to in the hands of the consumer. Yeah. So as a concrete example, Jabba's Realm started about last October or so. Or yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of okay. about before then, but that's when we switch onto it and off of the older projects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the line always gets a little blurred, right? Because uh, you know the the different phases of any product they they overlap, and so we it's we forget mm -hmm. when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, um, what I personally wanted to know, uh, since you both, um, especially Todd, I think you weren't there when the game was initially con uh, in the concept phase, like when it's uh, before it came out development. I think Paul, you joined like a year or a year and a half before it was released. I, I uh, joined. So was Hawk your first? Twin Shadows is my first. I was there for the core game, though. I joined in March yeah. of 2015, and the game released in December of 2015. Yep. So it's about a year, not not a little, yeah. little under a year before that. Yeah. So do you still talk with uh, the guys who uh, initially designed the core box? Do you have do, um, do you stay in contact? Are they like mentors? Do you ask them about stuff or? Yeah. So. Interestingly, uh, while I was interning at FFG, uh, my mentor at the time is uh, now Paul's manager and one yes. of the original developers on the, or designers on yeah. the game. Um, so I got hired because of him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't see him as much as Paul does anymore. But uh, yeah, so so Justin, Justin um, is my manager, um, mm -hmm. and so I still have regular contact. With, I mean, in general. The designer, the game had base, basically been handed off um, by mid Twin Shadows yeah. um, okay. to, to 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 the the next folks, as the the designer people tend to do new games, and so 
Justin had moved on to work on Warhammer Quest, um, and, and and that which is what Todd came in on and, and and all that. And so, but I still you know have contact with Justin um, because he's my manager. Corey, of course, is sort of the main designer of the whole company, and so everything still mm-hmm. passes by him. You know, he sees everything that that goes out the door, okay. but he's not okay. directly involved in in the stuff that isn't. The big stuff. I mean, he was working on Rebellion, for goodness sakes, which is awesome. I love Rebellion. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of content too. So, and then John, uh, who uh, isn't actually with FFG anymore, um, but he's actually been the most involved, and he um, he's done a lot of missions for us, um, up to and including uh, some of the stuff in Java's Realm. Um, and, and so he would, we, he did some of the hero design in Return to Hoth. Um, so he, he stayed pretty involved in the game, but almost, he, he moved on to other design projects. So his role was actually almost content creation more so. And so there was actually kind of a, a role reversal as he took his design work to other new projects. Um, and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then he would do content for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, uh, that's also, I, I think that's, um, that's from, from Jeppe in there. I, I think he has some, something to do. Or are you still with us, Jeppe? I am indeed. Okay, so <laughs> that's your question. So you so go partner. That. Yeah, you already touched a bit upon the, the miniatures. And at the in-flight, uh, at the recent Gen Con, there was talk of a new uh, miniatures team in-house for FFG. And I was wondering if you can sort of have any idea of what impact it will have on the EA players. On the which? Are they on the Imperial Salt? Oh, oh, IA. I, I don't think of the initial I as E. Sorry. That oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, my, okay. my my mistake. European <laughs> yes. in translation. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm actually on that team. Um, I've been doing some of my more recent work on the Rune Wars miniature game that we demoed at Gen Con this year. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I sit in that room now, um, and, I mean, it's divided my attention between the two games, but we <laughs> knew that was coming, and that's part of why Tony's joined the team. Um, so, I mean, that's about the extent of the impact it's going to have, is that I'm moving away from the game, and, and Tony is picking up that slack. Um, okay. th- that's what that means for Imperial Assault, at least. Yeah, um, there's there's just more. The other thing is, is, um, and this has kind of always been true of FFG, is just sort of, there's always been cross-pollinization of specialties and ideas. And and so this is just sort of a um, solidifying of who is best at what. And and so it's amazing how quickly problems... One a problem that doesn't get solved by talking about it in the board and card room gets solved by talking about it in the miniatures room and vice versa. Just who has, who is overhearing what we're talking about and says, "Oh, what in this game they did that? And, oh, yeah, that would just solve our problem right away, wouldn't it?" <laughs> yeah. So does it help with with your work when you're stuck like in a design, um, in a in a in a in a way where where you want to Im- implement some new game mechanic and it just doesn't work and you look at other games ffg is producing or already has produced and uh there are some solutions there or 
Uh, does it help you with designing the game when there is cross-pollinization throughout the games? So more often than not, what happens is we end up learning a lot about the things that aren't more than the things that are. Um, <laughs> and so when I have a problem, normally what happens is I'll ask the minis guys if they run into it in X-Wing, for example. Um, okay. give me like five ways that it didn't work. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, yeah, that's also very valuable. Yeah, yeah. So they save me a ton of time in failing. Um, but generally, the solution for any individual game is fairly unique. Uh, but there's definitely a, a tremendous amount of value in that cross pollination. Mm -hmm. Nice. So um, we also on the on the podcast we have a um, a guy who's playing the RPG, the mm -hmm. Star Wars RPG, like religiously. I mean, he doesn't have any more. It doesn't have any more time like previously, but. Uh, what we also wanted to know is, uh, are any game mechanics from Imperial Assault informed by the Star Wars RPG from FG, or is it just like a completely separate team and because it's an RPG, it just works in completely different ways or like things like race, r racial themes or, or themes of, uh, of how, how game mechanics work or how races work or how sure. stuff works. I can't speak to any intention because uh, I wasn't mm -hmm. there at the very beginning. I would guess that any similarities are accidental. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the... And accidental is not entirely the right word for it. Um, not intentional, but sort of a byproduct of the fact that we all sit in the same office and work yeah. on the same games. Or work mm -hmm. on games together, I mean. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily that the Imperial Assault guys went and talked to the RPG guys and, and made sure that all of these things were tight, but we're just all friends and we're all chatting and we're all making games and they all have the same thematic universe. And so a lot of our research will be the same. A lot of our terminology will be the same, which is probably why there's strain in both games. Uh, the, you know, there's some, some iconography that's shared between the two games. There's art that's shared between the games. Um, you know, and that's not necessarily like trying to lift, um, but it's just sort of a, a part of the fact that we are a studio, you know, and, and so ideas just sort of become a part of the ether there. And, and, uh, and, and we have a style, you know, anyone who's played an FFG mm -hmm. game knows that there is an FFG brand, an FFG style. Yeah. And, and so that just sort of emulates itself. Yeah, I would say we go to the RPG team uh, once in a while and we need help with the story. Yeah. The mechanics. Uh, most of the mechanics okay. are us just hammering out some new ideas, some way to, to change what we've done before, uh, or something we liked from a different game. Um, but we normally come up with that ourselves. Uh, but we do sometimes write ourselves into a corner and then need a little bit of expertise to get back out of it. Uh, and we lean on them for that. Yeah. And also, okay. both them and the minis team are both incredibly ahead of us um, as far as Star Wars lore goes because they've been doing it longer both the RPG and the X-Wing game, just the corners of the lore that they've had to scrape into, um, you know, to, to, to fill their products. And so if, if we come up with a mechanic and we're like, I don't know what does that in the Star Wars universe, rather than troll Wikipedia for an hour and a half, you just go and talk to one of the RPG or X-Wing guys and they're like, oh, sure, here's three people that do that. Okay. Yeah, so so it is like you have an idea for a game mechanic, and you wanted to know 
where can I place it in the Star Wars universe? And you might go over to the X-Wing team and they say, oh, the Bolfins do that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, so we also have a question via Reddit. And one of the users there asked, what's your favorite game me mechanic in the game, in Imperial Assault, that is? So... Both of you, of course. So. Your fun answer. What was my fun answer? I, I don't. I assume it's more fun than mine. Oh, um, <laughs> you give yours because I forgot what it was. So, okay. <laughs> so toss first. We, we were talking about this earlier today, and I realized that genuinely my favorite mechanic is rerolling. It, it's a boring thing, but it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It gives you more without giving you too much, and I just I yeah I love that I can give that to you. I can give you more, and you won't ever betray me by cheating my game. Uh, that's, I, I, that's so nice yeah i think i think if i had to pick a favorite game mechanic it's, it's one that i'm pretty proud of which is very specific which is mm -hmm. the carb channel the force from yeah. obi-wan's pack ah. uh, oh which yeah really i think sort of transformed the way force users played in skirmish by guaranteeing yeah. that they get to use their force powers and so they really felt like jedi and sith Mm -hmm. instead of yeah. just more units on the board that happen to have Surge for Pierce 3. And all of that without without making it overpowered. Right. Because there's still a, a drawback to the card. Yeah, so I think okay. that is, that is as far as like theme and mechanics and, and what's been introduced, I, I, I'm proud of that effect, and I'm, I, I enjoy how it manifests in the game. So I, I will say my more fun answer is um, all of Lando's abilities. <laughs> um Getting the card to win just mm -hmm. made me very happy. Yeah, that, um, and, and just the the sheer like fourth wall breaking look on your yeah. face when you play tough luck. It's, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's just kind of fun. I I can tell you I've played seven campaigns, both as Rebel and Empire, and I've only lost one of them, and it was totally all the way through Lando just. Being the agenda of the rebels, wrecking the board, wrecking yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that he feels like he's cheating every time he plays. <laughs> exactly, he is. He is. And together with speaking of rerolls, together with um, uh, Diala's reroll ability, it's yeah. just crazy. <laughs> oh, you can hand him extra rerolls in the campaign. Nice. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and he can oh, use Gambit, yeah. of course. So he can reroll one and choose to die, then reroll the other and choose another die, depending on which way he want to push things towards that. Oh, that's directly. awesome. <laughs> nice. That's cool. I have red attack with two accuracy. <laughs> I have. That's crazy. It's nice, yeah. I, I take it you came across it several I did, times. I did, I did. That, that was my defeat, my moment. <laughs> okay, so also via Reddit, we have the question about uh, is there any chance of you releasing alternate sculpts of some models like uh, a new a new layer or a new uh, bath or whatever uh, as may maybe separate expansions or uh, maybe as prices for the organized play tournaments yeah, so pretty much this completely out of your questions I, th this and um, uh, all those other what might happen in the future questions okay even, even if we know we can't really say I mean I don't know okay. a lot of that has to do with departments okay. that that I'll know once they tell me but oh you know also with the, a lot of that stuff is just like 
you'll find out when you find out sort of information. Okay. So I apologize okay. for that answer. But, so, uh, so we, so we okay. leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the last one about general Imperial assault would be because the, the other one is like probably the same, uh, about the recently announced, uh, companion app. Uh, I know that might also be falling into the, the realm of, you can comment on it because it's too far in the future, but in the uh, in-flight report, uh, it was specifically named as companion app. So uh, do you already know, or is there already a concrete plan for the design? Is it in the same way like it is in Descent, or is it just to help the Imperial player or the Rebels keep track of the game? So is it automation too, or is it just like companion app like for other games? Like, not certain if we can say. Yeah, or is this still in the... My answer to that is basically going to be what the in-flight report said, which is we are working okay. on a companion app and it's going yeah. to be super okay. duper fun. Yeah. I don't know we, exactly what we were suspecting that. That we're working on it and it's going to be super duper fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see next year. Hopefully. Fingers, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, but you want to go ahead with campaign questions? Yes. Um, the next question is that um, the question is whether the campaign is designed around a single Imperial player. Mm. Yeah. The question of how many brains there are in terms of how likely you are to making mistakes and so on. I, I can try to explain our theory a little bit. Um, we have chosen to balance the game, uh, assuming that both sides are playing nearly optimally, uh, however you arise at that. Basically, uh, our view is that we want to make sure that no matter how much you play the game or how good at the game you get, there's always game left. Um, that you can't ever get better than the game itself. Uh, that there's always okay. you could have done better or, or one side could have chosen differently. or. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we balance at a fairly high level, and, and that probably manifests okay. in the Rebels having an edge in those situations where uh, one player is making a mistake. I would bet that Rebels are less likely to make yeah. mistakes. However, the Imperial player, I think, is, is more capable of making the excellent plays, right, by knowing the mission and, and choosing the mm -hmm. correct groups and yeah. those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, so we like to imagine those things offset, but they, they may or may not uh, in any given case. I think also, ironically, at the start of a campaign, the Imperial player has more to manage because he has to manage threat and all the deployment cards and, and, and his class and all that. But once um, once you get into the later campaign, the Rebels actually have more on their plates um, to, to manage just because of the exponential growth of abilities. If you're doing a four-hero campaign, there is four times as much stuff on the hero side of the table as there is on the Imperial. And so... To optimally understand how all four of those heroes will interact with each other over the course of the next six rounds, you know, if you're if you're really thinking like three moves ahead, um, that that can take a lot of brain power, and so it becomes almost necessary for there to be as many brains as there are heroes on one side of the table. Yeah, we noticed this that uh, especially. Uh, I think we had the best experience when we first played a given campaign where the Imperial player has the distinct advantage of knowing ahead when story events trigger. Yeah. And uh, the rebels can, uh, they, they can discuss with, with each other. 
mm-hmm. and that then they play more optimally than the, than the imperial player. But because he has the more in, more insight into how the mission develops, he can prepare ahead a bit. So yeah. Late traps and so. On. Okay. Yeah. It, it seems like the discussion of balance is one of them, sort of longest running on both your forum and on board game geek and i think it's yeah. a very interesting sort of symptom that often you'll find threats just next to each other where one of them is completely about the rebels can never win and the other about how the empire can never win <laughs> but yes. um, playing the game and playing many different campaigns and different constellations with players and uh, and characters it, it uh, I, I think it must have been an incredibly daunting task to incorporate that to balance it and it still seems to work so seamlessly when we play it well i, I appreciate that um it is daunting and uh, the, there, there comes a point where, as just like as a human being, you have to let it go a little bit, because there are so many combinations that there are just not enough hours in a year for, in in a game like this, you know. And so we have a great team of playtesters, um, and and Todd and I hit these missions really hard, and we hit these heroes hard, and 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 we really try and iron things out but i mean we're also looking at things other than balance when we're play testing you know is is our concern is not just balance our concern is fun believe it or not you know we're trying to make the game fun and and so um you know it not only we might oh god one of the most depressing things that can happen at, at that office is when you write a mission or a hero or a unit that is balanced but not fun that is just the worst day because it's like, oh, but it's done, but it sucks. <laughs> and that means, but it's so boring. <laughs> it's not fun. It doesn't matter. You know, you're not going to sell it. To yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, also about the story in the campaigns. Um, in the first three campaigns, so this is the core box Twin Shadows and Return to Hearth. It seems like there is the, the great theme of, uh, in each campaign you have a big bad guy, usually an imperial guy, and one minor bad guy, usually from the mercenaries, and the, the objective of the last mission is to take them down, or, or at least in, in part to take them down. Uh, in Bespin, this, is, this was scaled down quite a lot, where the, 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 the main story of the campaign actually revolves around the rebels gaining some intel. Mm-hmm. Not about the bad guys, not about uh, the mercenaries. It's about gaining intel. What's actually happening? Uh, so, do you do you think that is some so uh, this is something you want to explore more in the future campaigns, like uh, making campaign objectives less about defeating a bad guy and more about um, doing other stuff like gaining intel. Developing resources for the rebels or some some such things. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say each campaign that we write mm-hmm. um, grows out of the content. You know, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it, it, okay. Um, and as we get better at making the game, we understand what that is more deeply. Um, I think that both mechanically and narratively we have improved with each expansion. Um, and so, I mean, and, and so to that extent, it, one of the quickest things to find in, in a story is beat the bad guy. And so, I mean, that, that is, 
very much, uh, I mean, that's very Star Wars-y. I mean, you go and there's Darth Vader or whomever else, and you have to beat him. You know, it's very classic Star Wars game. And so it's also a good, satisfying uh, gameplay element kind of in that weird middle ground between mechanics and narrative where, you know, you get to participate as a player in beating up the bad guy, you know, and mm-hmm. you do that in the game. And so that's an exciting climax of the story. Yeah. Uh, and so that is probably a big part of why that was um, centralized in our narratives, um, uh, especially in the beginning. Um, the Bespin Shadow War thing, uh, that sort of grew out of your mind a lot, Todd. Is that so long ago that we don't even remember how it all happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we knew we were doing a spy box. Yes. Um, and we knew we were doing Bespin, and I kind of zoned in on this like old school film noir kind of detective show thing. Um, and Blade Runner. Uh, didn't make it over, but I think it just kind of took on a life of its own and went its own direction, which is, I think, how all of this stuff happens these days. <laughs> like, we, we know, it's almost like connecting the dots, right? Where we know where some of the dots are. We may not know where the last one is, um, but we'll figure it out once we do all the things we have to do. Um, so that this mm-hmm. can go in any direction. I wouldn't say that we have a preference for doing one or the other. We just want to make sure that whatever we do, if it's the theme of the box, if it's everything that's going on inside of it, the best that it can. And then so off of that, I would I would be so bold as to say that the Jabba's Realm campaign is going to have the coolest story and most immersive story that we've done yet. And there's not much more I can say about it. They talk a little bit about, about the, the kind of scummy nature of it in that first uh, preview article that's up at... at www.fantasyflightgames.com visit us on the internet um, <laughs> um, and they, they talk about it a little bit there but I, I really think that uh, that it will bring you in and and, uh, and and be a cool narrative kind of unlike one that we've done in, in Imperial Assault thus far can't wait to play it yeah okay on to our uh, question about campaign assets. Um, mixing campaign assets from multiple campaigns. Uh, you've released uh, the core box and four uh, free additional boxes. Um, plus all the packs. With, <laughs> plus all the packs with with cards to, with cards to add to the campaign pools, like the the supply deck, the the rebel upgrades, the agenda decks. Yep. Um, is there? Uh, what is your your when you when you're starting a new uh, box? What is your expectation of uh, how many how much um, how much content uh, do the does the, the the standard user or the standard player have? Mm. Uh, do you just assume a core box and the, the the current expansion you're designing, or do you take into account most of or or even all of the previously released content? And should players actually bunch all of it together? Is there a plan for some structure in there? Um, I would say we plan for the two extremes, which is any okay. given product. We, we plan for you only own this product and the core set, and you own everything. 
and that sort of covers all of our ground. Um, mm -hmm. So we basically make sure that nothing is unplayable if it is just that and the and the core set, unless unless we call it out specifically, like some of the the Hoth packs and Vespin packs said, you know, you have to have the tiles from. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So other than those um, sorts of things, but otherwise, um, if you just have that and the core game. It works and it flows and it integrates, um, and then also um, making sure that it integrates with everything that's out there. When we we use we basically have a, a, a our testing prototype that has everything everything in it, mm -hmm. um, and again when doing that with with so much content in the game. Um, one of the, the biggest things that we have to do, I would say, is watch out for the spikes. You know, we know the, the things from, from, each, um, from each set of content that A, has the potential to combo into hired something. Guns. Yeah, hired guns <laughs> um, combo with everything. Um, and, or just, you know, different, even as min minimal as a supply card, you know, if something interacts with the supply deck, we have to make sure that it works with the best supply card that you could get. You know, stuff like that. And, and just really making sure that we manage our spikes and that nothing mm -hmm. combos with anything from any pack that um, in, in a way that isn't fun for the players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's probably our goal. We try to make sure that it's fun even if you only own this box and the core. And we try to make sure it's balanced even if you own this box and everything. Right? We, we try to make sure that extremes outside of that don't exist, but it's, it's never not fun, and it's never broken. Okay, uh, just to um, specifically zeroing in, uh, zeroing in on the um, supply and uh, the Rebel upgrade decks. Sure. Uh, the more expansions that are released, that the bigger these decks are going to get. Yep. Uh, so, so uh, single cards are going to be much more diluted than than if you just have the core box and one expansion, or just the core box. Yes. Um, there is a, a thread on board game geeks, I think, about talking about how attachments like in tier three are much, much more important now than they were because you released a, a bunch of good, very good tier three attachments in the two recent expansions. So uh, the the way you approach buying stuff in the campaign changed a little bit because of that, and also the problem now is that uh, since the tier decks are getting fatter and fatter, but you only draw six cards each each map or each mission, you're much less likely to encounter the stuff you actually want to get. So is there any plans to to, to normalize this for players or is this just you pack everything in or you just take out what you don't want and you roll with it? As with all questions about the future, I will say <laughs> okay. we'll find out, but I will say okay. a very good point and... <laughs> You are, and you will find out. Yeah. Okay, we'll find out in the future. That's also fine. <laughs> well, we are that's already true. in the future. We are a day ahead. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's true. That, is. <laughs> no, that concern over deck size versus draw size is, is perfectly valid. Yes. And, and yeah. we've, we've noticed mm -hmm. it as well. Yes. Okay. So. <laughs> Yepa, yes. you want to go ahead with a question again? Yes. Um... Which one do you wanna do? You wanna finish off with the campaign or move on to the skirmish? Uh, we can finish off with the campaign. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um. One of them is probably actually a little bit of um, a segue. Um, 
There's a question here about uh, power creep in the campaign and how the heroes have felt very even in power level without no noticeable creep, but how deployment cards do feel more aggressively costed uh, than, than a year ago and how that might impact campaign design. Um, yeah, so that, there is overlap with that, with the skirmish question that I recall about balance and skirmish. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That is something that I refer to as not power creep, but balance creep. Yeah. Um, hopefully, anyway, I, where yeah. we have our benchmarks for what we think power level is, and um, just because uh, some cards didn't meet that, um, uh, it may look like power creep, but in fact, if you if you measure the new more aggressively costed um, units against benchmark units, and and they they still hopefully in our design intent do not surpass that you know and, and don't actually raise the power level. Um, they just make bring everything up to that level where it is eminently playable. Right. So I'll, I'll talk about it a bit more when we get into skirmish. Um, but one of our benchmarks is probably hired guns. Um, and so the goal whenever I'm designing a new unit is I need to make it in campaign. In campaign. Yes. Is uh, it needs to be takeable, right? Because if I don't make a thing good enough to take, then it will never get played. Um, and if I make it not that good, all I'm really offering you is a chance to make a mistake and, and not play as well as you could have. Uh, so our goal has been to get everything up to within a, a much closer uh, band of quality than they were in the past. Um, so many things that were average in the past are now bumping up to that um, above average where we're trying to compress everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, is, is just trying to create fewer opportunities to make mistakes. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, because we have, like, in, in older builds of maybe old classes or old items, you know, we just know more about the game. It's just a natural way of, uh, uh, you know, when you've lived with the game for two and a half years, you learn more about it. And and so we, in, in, where we know what the, what we consider to be the, the best builds or whatever. And so when we make something new, we try and make everything the best build um, based on our knowledge of what came before. And that will continue to evolve and continue to improve. Um, but, uh, but that's basically what we're going for. And so we're hoping that it, it doesn't actually power creep the game, that you can still play with core set stuff, the best core set stuff, um, but that the new stuff just matches that rather than exceeding it. I think if 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 my if I may, Stefan, it's um, I came yeah. I came to the game having played uh, X-wing for for a year or two before Imperial Assault came out, and it it um, it was so impressive to see and still see in X-wing how uh, FFG is able to to sort of autocorrect things uh, as things become less useful and so on. And there's the design space in X-wing with the upgrade cards that allow a lot for that. Uh, and the veteran ace packs has sort of brought all things that was a little bit antiquated back in the game. And of course, there's a lot of players in Imperial Assault that hope and have the confidence in hoping to see something similar for for figures from the original trilogy that have not really seen so much play uh, in, in Skirmish, but maybe also not so often in Campaign because of their price versus their function. 
-hmm. like our favorite Han and Chewie and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, as that is future elements, I can't say anything that's too specific about it except to say we are aware, as you are aware, of 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 where those edges are and and what what could improve. Okay. <laughs> so close closing out our campaign questions. Uh, I know you can't talk about future expansions like you mentioned, but. Uh, we, especially myself, are interested in uh, expansions featuring storing featuring storylines directly from the movies or Clone Wars or Rebels or so. So, theoretically, would you even have the licensing rights to do some something like that, or can you only do um, content that is like generic Star Wars, or can you do you even know? Right question. I honestly have no idea. Okay. I honestly have so no if you... idea. Um, I, what I would say is that if the community has a good idea, I would encourage the community to like I, all the community-made stuff. We love. Yeah, we mm -hmm. love seeing that. And so you know, the if if you guys want to see it, I would love to like play that mission if like a community member made it. So. Mm -hmm. Anything okay. that you guys make, um, we love to check out. I, I like to like read through the homebrew forums and just see what people are coming up with for for um, you know their own home games. It's just it's just a cool cool part of the game, and we love to see it because it also means that the community is active, um, yeah. and and we love seeing people interact with with what we've made. Okay, so uh, answer good and uh, good and. Uh, Bouncing around your original question enough for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. It's it's, mar it's marked. It's 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 marked that it's probably no comment on this question anyway. So yeah, I was just, yeah. I was I rolled like, a dot on we, that question. Yeah, that's true. It's, yeah, <laughs> but we have sorry, to ask, right? So it's <laughs> it's a pet peeve of mine. So okay, uh, yep. Uh, go ahead with skirmish. Yes. Um. And. Basically, the the question is how you how you like the meta at at this stage. Uh, it was um, it was quite the 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 push at the start of the year to with the FAQ that changed some cards and of course changed the meta. So, the question is uh, how you like the meta at this stage. It is awesome. <laughs> it, is, it is so good. Yeah. Um, I was not prepared for how diverse the lists at Gen Con were. I, I thought that there were maybe you know three to four top lists or something like that, and I think there was one mirror-ish in the top eight, um, and just lists that I never expected were getting to the top, and that's because the game is in a place right now where the best players are playing whatever they wanted to bring, and they're winning. Um, I really think that the story of that tournament was that the best players were winning, and the armies were not overriding that. So to that extent, I'm ecstatic with where we're at today. Nice. You want to go ahead? Since you are the, the, the better skirmish player of us too, yeah, I think this is your <laughs> section now. All right. Um, so I, I haven't made all these questions, so I'll just sum up sort of uh, the, the direction they're headed. Uh, the next question is sort of about the nature of what the map does. And um, the current maps and rotation have sort of been focusing on some elements of the game. And um, the question is whether you in the future look towards 
and that's again that stuff you can't really be specific on but maybe some thoughts on maybe it's better to ask sort of open-ended what are your what are the thoughts that go into the choice of things you put in rotation uh, so to date normally what we'll do when a map rotation is coming up is we'll play all of the available maps and figure out which ones have the least abusable uh, play patterns um, so getting out and watching people play competitively has been extremely valuable in figuring out the types of things that shouldn't be allowed right? I think our, there are certain mechanics that yeah. are not good and so those cannot be picked. Uh, and then from what's left over, we'll try to prioritize things like map balance, um, a shift from the previous year, those types of things. Um, but more often than not, what we're really selecting is the map that doesn't have abusable angles. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this comes from, you know, we'll pick a map probably about eight months after we had originally designed it. Yes. A lot of times. And yep. so we have that many months more design knowledge yep. um following um that the, and so so when we look back on those and we kind of apply all of the new things we've learned to the old set of three to five maps that we're choosing from and whichever ones we were prescient enough to to like make up to date before we even knew what up to date was we picked that one mm -hmm. yep and then like i learned a lot this year at gen con um and I'm going to incorporate that into how I build maps in the future. Yeah. So it's it's a never-ending cycle of us getting better at this. And, and at any given moment, there are things that could be better in rotation, and they will be better in the future. And it's sort of two sides of a cycle in the sense that on the other half of it, there'll be the players that adopt for playing different kinds of lists, depending yeah. on what's strong on the different maps. Yes. Uh, the next question is sort of somewhat linked in that... Um, You've now announced the, the playmats coming out, and I think everyone is uh, very happy to, to see them. But we got a question here, and we got it from uh, via uh, Facebook, that that basically goes, now that you've got the playmats, and in a sense, you are, in theory, free from the constraints of whatever library of tiles are in the game. And the question is whether you've considered using that to to do mats that basically go beyond what's available in tiles. I think we've kicked the idea around, like, it's one of those things that pops up in the office, like, every six months, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did a map we couldn't do? Um, <laughs> and, and on the one hand, yes. Um, and on the other hand, we don't really want to pressure people into buying a product. Um, right? If you own the tile set, you should be able to play the game with that tile set. Um, so while we theoretically could do maps like that, they would probably be very limited in use. Um, so I guess the answer is yes, we could. Um, the other answer is that it's probably unlikely just because we don't know really what we would do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, a, a sort of a related question because we haven't uh, we haven't gotten our pause on them yet. But uh, from the articles about the new playmats, it, we got the 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 feeling that you also actually get the mission description with the maps when you buy them or yeah. yeah and i think that for a lot of us on some of the discussions we've had that was something we were very happy to see because it basically liberates you from buying both the the expansion tag and the and and it feels like you get more value for the money in if you want to limit what you're buying right yeah the goal was twofold uh, there were two large pain points in skirmish one was needing to do a puzzle before getting to play the game you showed up to play right so the map 
help solve that problem. And the other one was needing to buy a product that you don't necessarily want for your army. And this also addresses that. I wouldn't say solve, but it gives you another avenue to approach it from. So, um, yeah. yeah, it does both of those things on purpose. Uh, then we have a question off our Reddit. And um, that's a question for each of you. Which um, character do you feel is the most cost efficient in skirmish and why? I think our, uh, all of our answers is the same. Uh, and it's it's C three PO is is just the, <laughs> uh, because that's the the now I mean if you were to ask us what our favorite character is in skirmish then we it's a, but I think the just straight up correct answer is how much points do you get for your points it has to be C three PO yeah, pound for yeah. pound that does so so much and then when he stops being useful for what he's supposed to do he just jumps in front and tanks <laughs> uh, super super good at what he does. Um, you know, I'll, I'll try to address the heart of your question a little bit better than that. Um, <laughs> which is to say, kind of like we alluded to in the game things, there are basically benchmarks we have set that we're trying to match but never exceed. Um, I, I will offer up my benchmarks as elite pro droids, I think are a very good benchmark, um, and elite stormtroopers, I think are very good benchmarks. Those are the things that I think are um, very good for their points. And I want to match them with everything we make, but I don't ever want to surpass them because I think they're plenty strong enough. Okay. Um, then we have a question about the uh, organized play. Um, we're, of course, very, very excited to see uh, the plans for also doing something in Europe akin to what you're doing at Gen Con, like a continent-wide championship. <laughs> And again, we presume you can actually maybe say much, but of course we are very curious um, for for where it's headed or what you know of it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not. I mean, aside from not being allowed, I don't even know if uh, organized plays across the parking lot. Um, they, so you know, we 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 are in contact, and and so we, we but they have plans beyond what we know. Um, I guess what I can say is that the, the people who work there are very good and they are very ambitious about wanting to get as many people in the world playing our games as is physically possible. Yeah. They just want people playing FFG and Asmodee games. And so um, I don't know any specific plans or Europe targeted strategies, but I know that they're doing really good and and ambitious work over there. I I was uh, attending one of the open series this summer, the, the Naboo one in Copenhagen for X-Wing. So it's the first time for me to travel back to Denmark and actually play uh, X-Wing in my home country. But what I've noticed over, over the last year is that the door has really been kicked in for you Europeans in terms of keeping an eye out for going across borders and traveling across the continent for tournaments. And I'm really hoping to see the same with Imperial Assault. We've started seeing Germans coming to visit us here in the Netherlands and playing here and so on for the tournaments. And uh, and it's also in that sort of we're looking forward to actually have some sort of official international thing uh, going on um, when that lands at some point next year. Well, we'll be sure to share your excitement with our organized play department <laughs> and make sure that they uh, keep their foot on the gas when it comes to uh, European sport. Speak, speaking of uh, foot on the gas, um, it's and it's also organized play, but I guess it also 
draws you guys in a little bit to to follow what's going on. It's with the whole change to the new tournament rotation. It seems like it's um, it's quite the 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 sort of compacted thing with two world championships in um, in within it. Is it the span of six months or so? Yep. And uh, yeah, the question is if you guys are excited or if it's stressful or how much you actually go to 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 be there and be involved, even though the organized play are and I am the lead on it. Yeah. I mean, we'll be judging. Yeah, Todd will probably Todd will marshal, and I'll probably. Judge. <laughs> yep. Um, we have yet to uh, to get an official marshal's hat. Um, yeah, we I'm... have been angled. We've been wanting that <laughs> since they instituted the marshal program. Yeah, Is it like an imperial officer's cap? <laughs> Just anything. Yeah. Some sort of star. Um, as as I mean. As far as the, the stress of it goes, I would guess that the stress level is much higher across the parking lot for, oh, for yeah. two world championships in six yeah. months. For us, that will mean that our stress level will go up for two days twice in six months yep. uh, as, as opposed to once. Um, um, we, we don't, we're busy making the game, um, and then the world championships happen, and then we kind of kick into high gear, and we go, and it's great, and it's fun, and it's wonderful to interface with the fans. But all the prep work is is definitely um, handled by the OP department, and then we just have a very intense day, day and a half of of a lot of games. Yep. Is there some sort of sense of having to time sort of where the game is at when world champions hit um, in terms of? Uh, like FAQ or things being out and so on? We have very little control. Yeah. The, the control we do have, we like to exercise. Um, but, I mean, again, OP is its own department, and they schedule these things year in advance, probably. Yeah. Uh, and we show up two days before. So <laughs> like, they set in motion way before we can do anything about them. And, and, uh, sometimes we get to... To pull some strings and but most of the time we don't so. a lot of that is is just from our end from both ends trusting the overall system of the company you know is they keep scheduling tournaments we keep making expansions and the general math will be there will be cool new stuff to play with at the new tournaments yeah, yeah. we do talk about things like when we time map rotations um, and those kinds of things. yeah and we, we try yeah, to yeah. And speaking of map rotations, are you in charge of the map rotation, or is it organized play, or is it like a, a, a council of both? It, it's mostly us. They, they defer to us on everything that has to do with um, the game. Actual game yeah. stuff. Okay. They're really, really good at running events, um, but they, they rely on us for, for the, the specifics. Um, there's a question here relating to the uh, living card game, I think, and I have no idea about it, Stefan, so maybe you want to... Uh, Pick that one up. The new player it? experience. Oh yeah. So uh, with skirmish right now, uh, when you are getting into skirmish as a new player, you buy the core box. You need it, of course. There's no way around it. And then you are, then you're facing a wall of of of, of box expansions and pack expansions. Yep. Uh, the LCG products, or at least the competitive LCG products from FFG, recently started to introduce like seasons or some sort of rotation where you phase out previous content yep. uh, to help new players stay in or to help new players get into the current rotation without having to spend on or without having to research and spend 
uh, money on basically all of the available content. Right. Yep. Is there anything about this plan for Imperial Assault? Or I mean, it's it's too too early to ask this, but uh, do you think this will be a problem in the future? Do you think you will address it? It's hard to say, right? So for I'm a really big fan of format rotation when it's necessary, um, and a lot of card games hit that sooner than minis games just by the sheer volume of content they're producing, right? They, they put out a set and it can be hundreds of cards, whereas we put out an entire wave and it's like three figures sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, it just it's it's unlikely we would ever hit critical mass to the point where we would lop off a huge section of old content. Um, it's certainly something that we can discuss when the day comes. I just don't think we're anywhere close to it okay there's also something of a value proposition question right like in, when when you when you uh, um, cut out um, a section of cards um, there, there's sort of a different even just psychology about it whereas those are you know cards and you know they're cardboard and they're cool and they're fun and they're great but it's not the same as like a hunk of plastic you right. know if the if, if General Weiss all of a okay. sudden wasn't tournament legal anymore, it's like, well, I paid 20 bucks for that, and it's awesome, and it sits on my desk, and it has the big guns. You know, there's there's a different, there's sort of a different element to to okay. even just player psychology around a minis game uh, mm -hmm. versus, uh, versus a card game. Okay. You've um, increasingly uh, added more deployment cards that have a different version for skirmish and for campaign and it's been uh, it's been very interesting to see and i think it, the first ones with was it with hoth probably with leia uh, no it, it was with, it was with twin shadows with oh, Dito, of course yeah um and it's it must have opened up a lot of design space for you guys and it would be curious to hear a little bit about what went into that process of, of sort of splitting them up whose idea was it um, well, Todd wasn't hired yet, so I guess it was mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, where it started with R2, it started thematically, right? Like R2-D2 has to interface with terminals, and terminals do two different things in the campaign game and the skirmish game, so we need split cards. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where it started. Um, and it, it continued that way, like, it's okay, if we will do a split card if they interact directly with you know, an element of the game that is not present in one of the game modes. So Leia is the same. Mm -hmm. you know, she interacts with yeah. command cards and skirmish and imperial class cards and campaign. Um, it has evolved as as our understanding of the game grows and just our understanding of how utterly different skirmish and campaign are um, and what makes something valuable in one mode or the other. There are some things that carry over, you know, having a bunch of dice and good surges is kind of always going to be good. Um, but things just, the simple fact of that, and this is one of the big things about hired guns, you know, why hired guns is one of our um, benchmarks in campaign, but not necessarily in skirmish, is just the simple fact that you have a deployment point in campaign and you can drop them in the player's face as opposed to needing to get them into position in skirmish. That simple difference can utterly change how a unit functions in one game mode or another. Um, and so those sorts of considerations have changed our core design of units just from the ground up. But also those various differences uh, will inform what gets a um, skirmish and campaign split card, as well as interacting with 
the components. You know, like Blaze, um, who uh, deals with when uh, your your opponent discards command cards in in skirmish versus using a surge to gain threat in uh, in the campaign. I think um, I have one last question for, or actually probably not even for you guys because it's more like OP uh, or organized play, but but um, just just more a, a thought I'd like to put out there, and that is that uh, doing a lot of work to try and, and build up the momentum for the local scene here for Imperial Assault and touching upon what you said earlier with wanting as many to play it as physically possible yeah. is that one of the one of the things that we've sort of the ceiling we've hit in a sense is that the especially the regional sets and the national sets are made for a certain number of people so there's a certain number of prices in which also mm. sets the price to a certain level and i understand why it needs to be sort of a you want a certain status in a regional or a national but it also means that smaller scenes can't really afford it. We've got some stores that actually do um, buy some of the regionals and national kits, but they take a, a huge loss uh, to be able to, to run them. And typically, then they choose to either do a Mata or Impel Assault. And unfortunately, it's been a little bit more of a Mata, and, which yeah. I also enjoy playing, but I would rather see the regionals and nationals for, uh, for Impel Assault. And, um, and it would also feel strange if a nationals in the Netherlands was like less rewards or cheaper to buy than for instance to 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 host it uh, in a larger country or similar um so one of the things that that's been going through the gestating in the local uh community has been that if they could somehow be scaled for lower people counts i know less than nothing about this subject um, <laughs> uh, i'm afraid that is that is so entirely organized play I will also assume that if we are hearing it, um, that the actual organized play people have heard it ten times plus. Probably, probably yeah. have, probably have. Um, and I, I, I have no idea what they might be doing about it or considering about it. But I do know the guys over there, and I know that if it's an issue, they will put their heart into finding a solution for it if there is a feasible one. It's my impression that um, some of the changes with regionals uh, coming for next year is that this year in the Netherlands there's been eight regionals for for um, for X-wing and basically I think it's been every single store that wanted to afford it and there was a player base for it has basically hosted one and we've been understand uh, getting the feel that basically what's going to happen is that in the next year and onwards uh, it's going to be pegged for a certain number of regionals in a country with so and so many people, which uh, I think is, because it's sort of diluted the sense of going to regionals for X-Wing for instance, when you can do it almost eight weeks in a row in a country where basically those eight regionals are all half an hour drive from where I live, because I live centrally. So, so uh, and then the, the, basically the store's been told that from the next year onwards, there'll only be two available in the Netherlands, for instance. Yeah. Um, and that sort of also gives a certain, the regional a certain gravitas, so to speak, in, yeah. in how many are there. And, and yeah. Just, just like we get better at designing the game, they get better every year at, at supporting the game. You know, yeah. it's, it's just going to keep getting better and better. And they, they are very good at learning from their past experiences and uh, and I've certainly loved everything I've seen coming out of there recently. So I'm confident. Yeah. 
Okay, so I think that's all about skirmish and uh, to um, to put a lid on this uh, interview. Sure. We have two last questions that are uh, you guys get submitted also via. Yeah, that that also. <laughs> I think you you. I think you might also have some other plans too already. So, um, so we have optional questions via Reddit, and I think we will pick two of them that you might be able to answer. <laughs> uh, the first, the, the, the other ones are the other ones are just future content, and I that's yeah. not, not going to happen anyway. So, okay. So the first is um, uh, in when spoiling uh, Jabba's realm. We also got uh, the the full skirmish card spoil spoil for for Jabba himself. Mm -hmm. So uh, someone noticed that um, he seems to be designed to replace the Gideon and C three PO <laughs> automatic include into into mercenary list. The rebel care package. Was this was this was this intentionally designed this way, or is it just like oh, it just so, sort of happened? Designed to replace is not the word I would put on it, but knowing that he was going to be a support figure, we knew he had to compete. Yeah, it's, a, it's back to okay. the benchmark concept, right? Where C3, uh, Gideon C-3PO is the benchmark. Um, and, and so if we wanted him to be played, he had to be in that same category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so I think players... Yeah, so the, the players so, uh, recognizing that it competes with that is not inaccurate. I mean, we, we were very aware that that was who he had to beat, you know, or at least situationally beat. You know, there still might be a list where someone decides that taking, C, maybe not both of them, but C-3PO and you know, Rebel Troopers or Leia or whoever um, is, is preferable for them. But it had to be a legitimate option that if he, we knew the points total that we wanted him to fit into and we knew that in that points realm, and in that archetype of what type of character he was, this was going to be his direct competition, and he needed to be able to stand up to it. I suspect that uh, those who will be most happy to see Jappa will actually be Imperial players like me, because the scum, of course, could already use Gideon and 3P, but, um, but as the Empire, we didn't have access to them, but we might have access to Jabba with the Temporary <laughs> Alliance. Okay, so last question, which is a little bit more personal. Sure. Uh, both of you, do you play with any house rules when you play um, personally or even during development? House rules, I mean, so we don't, I don't play a ton of the game on my own time. I, I do some every once in a while. I, mean, I, I don't know what you guys do professionally, but I don't assume that you go home and do it on weekends very much. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I do other stuff. I, I do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, we we have our own sort of. I guess what what I would say in terms of like house rules, if you want to call it that, is we try and smooth out spikes. Um, both probably when we play. Um, for fun and when we're testing. Um, so maybe that's like particular content or combos, you know, that we know, okay, we know that this interaction of hired guns and that class card does this thing. You know, we don't need to do that in every test because we know what it does. If we use that when we test this new mission, 
we're just learning the same thing over and over again. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, uh, with dice, when we when we do our testing, we actually um, we have these dice decks that we've created, um, where instead of rolling dice for attacks, um, we have a deck for each die for each player that has 12 cards, uh, two of each face, that theoretically evens out um, the how many times you see the good and bad faces of a die. And so um, we're not testing, you know, say we do a, a play test and we roll five dodges. It's like, oh yeah, well that mission was way too easy. It's like, no, we just learned that <laughs> That, that the white die can can do crazy awesome things, which is great for a fun narrative moment in a campaign, but doesn't teach us anything about what we're trying to learn about new content. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I also, I'm not okay. shy about uh, like forcing item sets or something like that. If I'm trying to show the mm -hmm. game off, right? If I, if I have a new player that I want to get interested in the game, we talked about you know item decks being sometimes hard to see the good items. Um, if my goal is to have fun or to show someone the best of the game can be, I'm not shy about just going, here, take this item, it's better. Uh, right? <laughs> like, just, there are things you can do to um, kind of cheat the game if, if you want to do that in your house with the way that you play with your friends, that uh, all of that is totally legit. Yeah. yeah. So I think where the, where the question is actually coming from is we talked with uh, John, Jonathan on Reddit, who also oh, sure. was in the core design team for Imperial Assault and he told us about a house rule he is using when he's playing the core box which is like normalizing XP and, and credits oh, yeah. and uh, inf influence redistribution throughout the, the story like, modes. If, if one side has lost two in a row or something then you get the rewards both still. sides get their rewards no matter who yeah. wins, until that has yeah. been rectified. Yep. Yeah. yeah that was interesting. Yeah. I saw that. Um, I have not personally ever used that. Uh, reading his Reddit post was the first time I had heard of it. Um, <laughs> um, it's it's interesting enough. I mean, if I was playing for fun, um, so the two times that I play this game are when I play it for work and when I play it for fun. Yeah. And if I'm playing it for work and one side is winning too much, then I have work to do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and if I'm playing it for fun, I am almost always with um, playing it as more of a GM. Um, because playing it with my friends when I'm teaching it to them for the first time, I play this game professionally an average of 20 hours a week probably. And I, I, there is just no world in which me playing full bore against my friends doesn't just end with them hating me. Yeah. Um, and so something along those, you know, I, I, I am, you know, maybe picking more thematic than, than necessarily the best mechanical combos. Um, mm -hmm. I am, you know, not chaining my stormtroopers properly, may not, you know, getting them in the most annoying positions and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that, that probably comes into play a lot more often than, than any specific house rule. Yeah. Is is I'm trying to just guide my friend's experience through a fun Star Wars story. It's probably also worth mentioning that we talk about these types of tweets a lot at work, um, but we don't end up playing them as house rules so much as putting them in the file and maybe putting them in the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For us, they kind of fall more under work than than a house rule, honestly. If something comes up that's that's worth changing, we'll change it and we'll we'll make it an expansion. 
<laughs> that, that's nice, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, judging from a lot of the threads online, that uh, some people have enjoyed the game a little bit less than they could have if they had been better in the group to talk in advance about what their expectations were exactly. Sure. Like, like either are you a custodian GM for an experience for, for the Rebels, or do you want the sort of uh, strategical... Uh, sort of fighting uh, against each other. And I think that's where some groups maybe um, enjoy less than they could have. I, I, I really like the the dice with the memory you were using, the dice cards, because I think from from any any of these games, you, you can have discussions afterwards about the whole bias you have and how you experience yeah. luck or not. And you basically, you know, you know uh, that you had an average. Even using those dice decks, we still have to discuss the luck element. We still talk about getting dice. The timing when. Uh, and so if, if you are rolling a three dice attack, you know, and you happen to flip the best face of all three at once, or over the course of the game, you were getting good face, bad face together all the time, you know, and so yeah. you're always drawing average. Or if you hit, if both of your dodges were on the top of your white die deck, you know, you're going to have a better time. Um, that sort of thing. And so there, there's still, even even as we flatten that out, there's still that much, you know, going on that we have to, to be aware of. And that, you know, again, there's theory behind that. There's, you know, it's, it, it's fun. It's, there's unexpected nature to it. Um, but it's all about sort of the scientific process and, and, uh, and, and flattening as many variables as we can. And, and there are a lot of them in this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think uh, unless Jeppe has uh, another surprise question, I think that's it. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, any last any last words to the listeners? Um, get hyped for Java's Realm. It's <laughs> we have been very I think excited they are. about it since October, and we have we have been from theory crafting it to actually turning it into an expansion. We are completely confident it's the best thing we've made yet and i can't wait for real people to play it <laughs> thank okay thank you thank you for the inter interview thank you yeah and thank you thank you for making an, an awesome game but also thank you for uh interacting with us for, for the community like this but also i have to say especially thank you for for answering all our tedious rules questions and being available for for that on your website. And I know sometimes, I know I'm guilty of sending some tedious ones, but it's also when we put stuff on the podcast, we really want to sort of dot all our eyes to, to, to be certain. The, the tedious ones are honestly kind of fun. So, you know, they're, they're just days, they build up in my inbox and they're just days like, okay, Todd, we're doing, we're doing this for the first three hours of today. You know, and, and we sit and we mull it over and we go, ah, oh, Wrap and then we, you know, we look through the rule book and, and you know, they're fun. They're good. They're they're good for us. They keep us on our toes and uh, and and it's it's a nice little exercise. It's really nice to know the answer before you have to make a judge call. Yes, <laughs> but it's it's awesome service to the fans, and I think that kind of approachability is what makes the stuff you guys do amongst the best. Even though I know fantasy fight right now is just doing it on home run after another but still feeling approachable that you guys can be reached and uh, like despite your expanding player base well i think I'm, I'm 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 glad you feel that way and we honestly feel the same way about uh about what you guys are putting up i was showing todd your your buyer's guide before yeah. before we we started this i mean that, that is incredible i mean the, the the amount of thought and work put into that um is 
it's such a service to what we do. We want people to play our games. At the end of the day, we as designers want people playing what we make. And so all this that you guys do, we can't support it enough. And so we are very excited that it's out there. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, I think we will call it a day. And maybe we'll do it again next year or so. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Then have a nice have a nice evening and yep, have a nice night. You too. Get some sleep. I, I have an yeah, aqua we'll unit do. that needs uh, a new diaper, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we'll hear us in about a year and with more expansions and more questions. Sounds good. To our listeners, bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.